Welcome to Inside the China Room, a show within the Ginger River Radio podcast series and your go-to podcast for anything about the Chinese current events. I'm your host, Jiang Jiang, the founder of Ginger River Review, a newsletter that focuses on reporting the priorities of both the leadership and the general public in China, and the views you do not normally see from mainstream English language media. China's GDP grew by 5.2% in 2023 compared to the previous year, marking the first year of China's economic development in the post-pandemic era after lifting its zero-COVID restrictions. In December 2023, a crucial Central Economic World Conference held in Beijing set the tone for the economic policies in 2024. The conference highlighted the need to overcome various challenges and difficulties to further stimulate the economy. These including addressing the lack of effective demand, overcapacity in certain sectors, subdued social expectations, existing risks and hidden problems, domestic circulation bottlenecks, and the increasing capacity, severity, and uncertainty of the external environment. What are the policy directions indicated in the annual Central Economic Work Conference? Has China's economy picked? How does China's economic scholar view China's economic recovery and its expected growth rate in 2024? Join me to talk about China's economy in this episode is Yao Yang, one of China's leading economists and the dean of Peking University's National School of Development. Professor Yao, thank you for joining us for the first podcast episode of Inside the China Room podcast, which is actually the first episode in 2024. And uh, in 2022, China optimized its COVID response. At that time, I shared an interview conducted by the National Business Daily with you. And at that moment, you shared your views on China's post-pandemic recovery. Now, one year has passed. Mm -hmm. uh, that interview actually, at that moment, gained lots of popularity among our newsletter readers. Mm -hmm. And uh, a year has passed. The Chinese government has just released its GDP growth. Uh, in 2023, which is 5.2 percent, mm -hmm. surpassing the annual target, and uh, conference was also held, and uh, it has set the tone for the policies for 2024. Right. You are the top economist in China. You have been a very impactful policymakers, and uh, you said in a recent interview with the Hongxing News that mm -hmm. to understand the trends in China's economy, one must grasp the underlying logic behind the government policy decisions. China's economy is currently undergoing an adjustment period to address the excessive commercialization and financialization in certain industries. So could you first elaborate for overseas audiences about the major specific issues China needs to address during the adjustment period? And how does understanding this adjustment period assist in predicting the trajectory of China's economic policies? Well, we have, first of all, I would just say that the 5.2 growth rate is a very respectable growth rate. It actually beats many predictions that China's economy would grow by like 4.5 percent, right? So I would just say that's a great achievement, particularly in the periods of adjustments. You asked me the question, what kind of adjustment China is doing? In the last uh, 45 years, uh, China has achieved a lot uh, through uh, economic reform and the opening to the outside world. Uh, no one has any doubt about marketization and reform. But we have to also admit, together with marketization, there have been a lot of problems that have been created. 
And in this period of adjustment, uh, we have to correct uh, many of those problems. Uh, for example, corruption. Uh, uh, corruption is with widespread. Uh, President Xi Jinping has been determined to eradicate uh, corruption in the Chinese society. I mean, corruption is a cancer in any society. Uh, in China, of course, we cannot tolerate uh, on that. Right. Then, uh, second, uh, too much commercialization in some sectors, uh, particularly, say, in the educational sector. I mean, the government has proposed common prosperity as a major goal for the next several decades. One of the strong convictions of the Communist Party is to create a equal society with common prosperity. And in today's world, education is really key for ordinary people to achieve a decent life, right? But we can see that uh, in the educational sector, particularly uh, in the compulsory education period of time, there is too much commercialization. And so the government uh, is also determined uh, to get rid of this uh, too much com uh, commercialization in the educational sector. Um, and also in the financial sector, one of the lessons we have learned from the American experience is that too much financialization in the economy is going to kill your manufacturing sector. That's why United States uh, industry has been hollowing out right, uh, over the last uh, several decades. So China is determined not to repeat what United States has experienced in the last several decades. So deleveraging has been one of the key tasks uh, for this period of correction. Uh, we can say the same about local government debts. Uh, too much debts is uh, not good for the economy. Uh, we see local governments have borrowed uh, a lot of uh, commercial debts uh, without much uh, regulation. And the central government uh, is determined to change that. Those are several examples of corrections. In the long run, uh, after those corrections uh, have been done, we can see the Chinese economy, the Chinese society to become a much healthier uh, society and the economy. But uh, in the process of a correction, adjustment, of course uh, you're going to see fluctuations uh, in the economy. But I think that's uh, a short period uh, phenomena. In the long run, we are going to have a healthier economy. Actually, you touched on lots of interesting points just now. We'll go into details one by one later. Okay. And uh, uh, it's interesting that you said that actually in the past 40 or 45 years, the China's opening and the reform has, like, every policy has pawns and cons from mm -hmm. long-term perspective. Right. And uh, I, I watch, actually, I watch a speech given by you in the Fair Bank of China Studies in Harvard, like, I think, in October last year. Right. And the topic was trying to reverse the dire consequences of the 40 years reform. Right. And you said that maybe from the short-term perspective, some measures will kind of slow down the economy from some, to some extent. But from a long-term perspective, China's economy is expected to be healthier, equitable, and uh, more mm. equitable and more innovative.
Right. You know, the last last year's in December, the Central Economic World Conference mentioned that to enhance the consistency of microeconomic policy directions and incorporate non-economic、mm. policies into the assessment of microeconomic policy consistency, strengthening the policy coordination to ensure concerted efforts and synergy. Because、mm. you just mentioned about the reform in the education sector,、well. and、uh, I'm sure that. The different policies have different consequences, and the, recently we also see there is、uh, online game administration measures, which、mm. is actually a draft measures. But after that, the market expectation was kind of being of impacted, and、mm-hmm. after that, relevant authorities quickly stated that they will seriously study and further modify the and improve the regulation. So look at the process from policy assessment to market、mm. reactions. And to the statement of policymakers again, what challenges have you observed faced China's policymaking arena, and what positive effects might this accident or this process have on the future policymaking? Well, that、uh, that's a very good example of、uh, this adjustment, right? Now, online gaming is a major business, right? But、uh, in every country, many people are concerned. Not just in China, in the U.S. People are also concerned. I mean, the little children are playing those online games yeah, yeah.、Uh, all the time, right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people way, can get addicted to it, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so、uh, some uh, measures uh, to regulate the industry,、uh, I think,、uh, is necessary.、Uh, I would say not just in China, in many countries, right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, as uh, the economic conference stated,、uh, we have to. Pull those uh, uh, long economic goals into the goals of macroeconomic、uh, policies, right? So we have to enhance the consistency of those policies. This doesn't mean that we are not going to do those、uh, adjustments, but we are going to bring those adjustments into、uh, economic policy. I think、uh, there are also pros and cons. On the pro side.、Uh, Uh, in the future, probably, you know, when this kind of policies are launched, then the central authority is going to do a evaluation. Right? What's the impact we are going to have to the economy? That's、uh, the pro side.、Uh, but the, the, there is a con side: is that, that how do you strike a balance between economic goals and the long economic goals? I, I think that's、uh, not just、uh, for the short term. Even、uh, for the longer term,、uh, we have to strike、uh, a balance because、uh, growth is still essential、uh, for the Chinese economy and for Chinese society at large, right? But in the meantime,、uh, we have to do those adjustments.、Right? I think uh, here uh, the method is、uh, very important. How you conduct those adjustments is、uh, quite important. Uh, luckily, we have seen the government、uh, has become aware of this issue, and the government is、uh, trying to strike、uh, a delicate、uh, balance. Yeah, I'm sure the government didn't expect、uh, that market reaction before it released that policy. Actually, it's just a draft version. It's not、right. a decision. It's、right. a policy trying to hoping to know the well related parties' attitudes and opinions on that. Then、right. it's going to optimize that, but.、Right. Maybe due to various factors, the market react too much、right. to this, right? right? And according to our knowledge, 
because you are impactful these policy makers. Do you think that relative partners? Not policy maker. Uh, 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 <laughs> just a professor. And uh, yeah, and uh, and do you think that like the companies, the game companies, they are involved in the process of making these policies very well, how say closely with the government? Um, to my limited knowledge, uh, those companies. Uh, are closely uh, working with the government uh, in regulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, the government also consult uh, those uh, companies. Right? As you said, uh, probably the market uh, overreacted. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing is that uh, before the economic conference, many of those uh, adjustments policies uh, were launched uh, separately by different uh, government agencies. Yeah. I don't think that was uh, the right way to do this. And we should have a central authority uh, to do the coordination and the evaluation. Right? That's why we have been seeing President Xi Jinping calling for more coordination uh, within the government. Right? Uh, so hopefully in the future, we're going to see more coordination. Sure. And uh, another interesting phrase from the Central Economic World Conference is that Xianli Hopo, uh, we can say that, which means establish the new before abolishing the old. And uh, actually, that phrase also raised a significant attention to overseas readers as a new buzzword. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to my knowledge, it was first mentioned by the central government during a political bureau meeting in July 2021, mm-hmm. when China faced a challenge between decarbonization and power generation. Right, we know right. that China always tries to strike balance between different policies. Right, right. And uh, how would you interpret the principle of Xianli Hopo in the Economic World Conference? Uh, could you provide mm-hmm. an example for overseas audience to understand this phrase? Oh, my understanding is this Xianli uh, uh, to establish a new is to stabilize economic growth uh, because uh, you know, economic recovery has not met uh, expectations. I would say China's potential growth rate is still around 5.5. But if you do an average over the last several years, uh, the average was well below 5%, right? So there's still much room uh, for China to catch up. So uh, growth is going to be the cornerstone of uh, this year's government policy, right? And so that's Xianli uh, established the new. Uh, hope poor to abolish the old, uh, my understanding is uh, to proceed carefully on some of the reforms. Uh, for example, local government debts. Okay. Uh, the original plan was uh, to have a major uh, reform of local government debts in trying to solve this problem. Uh, but solving this problem is going to take a lot of energy mm-hmm. and probably is going to slow down local government spending. Yeah. Right. But that's going to affect the economic growth on the negative side. Right. So my prediction is that the government is going to move more slowly mm-hmm. on that front. Mm-hmm. So can we see that, well, growth is a much more a priority comparing to abolishing some old 
modes because it mm -hmm. takes time and it's going to create some more difficulties for the local government. Exactly. Okay. And uh, we know that the real estate sector is also currently a challenging aspect of China's economic transitions. There mm -hmm. are lots of discussions uh, in overseas medias on that. And mm -hmm. over the past months, China has introduced a series of policies to optimize the situation. However, mm -hmm. the results may not be very noticeable or as mm -hmm. you mentioned in one of your previous interviews, the effects may manifest relatively slowly. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are also some opinions suggesting that the policy swings have been too drastic. Mm -hmm. So how do you view the trends in China's real estate market for 2024? Mm -hmm. What should be the policy approach to address this situation? Well, the government has done a lot uh, trying to stabilize uh, that sector. Uh, for example, Baojiao Lou, and, and you know, to collect the funds to finish the unfinished projects, and also to open up uh, the credit market uh, to various uh, the developers. Uh, I think the government policies are on the right track. The situation today is that uh, home buyers are quite reluctant to buy new homes. Mm -hmm. My interpretation is that uh, most of people still expect the prices uh, to come down. Mm -hmm. And this price adjustment has uh, not uh, reached the bottom. I mean, over the last three years. In their opinion, in yeah, their in, expectation, in, right? In, oh. Yeah, in home mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. buyers' mm -hmm. opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Because over the last three years, uh, sales uh, has been declining by 15% uh, to 20% each year. But we don't see much drop mm -hmm. of prices. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not normal. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's why people have this rational expectation. Yeah, so yeah. prices should uh, come down much more. Mm -hmm. I think one of the problems in the housing sector mm -hmm. is this conflict of interest yeah. between local governments and the central government. Mm -hmm. and the central government uh, has been always stressing uh, regulating the market and keep the housing prices low. But for local government, I mean, their rationale is... It's part of their revenue, right? Yeah, they have a higher and a higher uh, housing prices, right? Yeah. So there is a conflict. So we, we can still see some local governments uh, don't allow uh, real estate developers uh, to lower the prices. Uh, they still want to keep the high prices so mm -hmm. they can mm -hmm. maintain higher revenues. Right? Uh, but in order to uh, stabilize uh, mm -hmm. that sector, mm -hmm. we have to see prices uh, to come down sufficiently. Right? And so hopefully uh, this year, uh, we're going to see you know, the prices hit the bottom and finally uh, people say, oh, it's time to buy new homes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And many people say, oh, China already has enough uh, uh, houses or apartments. I don't think so. Um, yeah, on average, of course, we have enough. Uh, we uh, per capita living space uh, in China is even higher than in Japan. Right? But China has this uh, structural shortage. People are still moving from the countryside to cities and uh, moving between cities, mm -hmm. right? So though in those first tier, second tier cities, this is still a huge demand for homes, mm -hmm. right? 
So as long as people say, oh, mm -hmm. it's time, mm -hmm. uh, right? prices are low mm -hmm. enough, mm -hmm. I, I think uh, uh, purchase uh, will bounce back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's about an issue of resources allocation. And mm -hmm. uh, also, I noticed that uh, President Xi Jinping uh, mm -hmm. visited Shanghai recently, and mm -hmm. one of the spots he went was, uh, I think, a place, an apartment, which is an affordable apartment for, like, mm -hmm. for, for people who, who need that. Right. And I think that it seems to me that's another effort that the, because you, you mentioned about the common prosperity, right? right? Trying to make the policies more equitable for, for all the people living, especially living in big cities. Right. For I was wondering, uh, does such kind of policy to provide like more affordable apartments will also affect the price of the real estate sector, like the price? No, uh, definitely. But um, that's only in the long run, mm -hmm. because uh, to build those affordable housing takes uh, time, right? Uh, in first-tier cities, uh, I actually advocated uh, building more uh, of uh, rental apartments for young people because young people cannot afford buying even affordable housing. Uh, like in Beijing, mm -hmm. uh, our, our university, that's a perfect example. Mm -hmm. uh, I live in affordable housing uh, provided by our university, mm -hmm. but the price uh, with uh, still 25,000 yuan per square meter. That's uh, still expensive uh, for young people, right? Yeah. Uh, to solve uh, the housing problem uh, with those uh, migrants uh, and the young people flooding into first-tier, second-tier cities, together with the affordable housing, we should build more uh, rental apartments. Yeah, that's great. I, I think people really need that, and yeah. uh, it's great to see that government are doing this. Mm -hmm. And uh, another thing, I think, which is kind of maybe related to real estate sector is the resolution of local government debt, which mm. seem to be like a complex and long-term process as well. So mm. in your opinion, what should be the current focus in dealing with local government debt at this stage of economic recovery? Mm -hmm. uh, as I said, uh, we should take a, a very cautious approach to local government debts. Local governments uh, spend a lot during COVID-19. Professor Bai Chongwen of Tsinghua University put up an estimate that uh, over those three years, uh, local governments uh, uh, ran a deficit of 4.2 trillion RMB. So local governments have uh, run out of money. Uh, so in this case, uh, I think the right approach is uh, to give them more finance. Uh, so they can spend more. Because today, residents don't want to spend. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, many residents uh, are paying off uh, their uh, yeah. mortgages. Yeah. Beforehand. Uh, uh -huh. Beforehand, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. So there's a kind of a contraction mm -hmm. in the uh, uh, residential sector. Uh, and uh, in the corporate sector, uh, companies uh, don't want to invest. So the only sector that we can add on leverage is uh, the government sector. So that's why I believe at this stage, we should uh, probably postpone the reform of local government debts and, and then continue to allow them uh, to borrow, uh, to raise uh, debts uh, so they can invest more, they can consume more, and then can maintain stability of the economy. Mm -hmm. Another topic is that expanding domestic demand, which we have seen that the central government has stressed that a lot in recent years. And this year's Economic World Conference has once again placed a significant emphasis on actively expanding domestic demand. As you just mentioned, that 
I think Chinese residents are kind of conservative towards spending, right? right. It seems that they actually has a, China currently has a record high saving rate, but mm. there seems to be less confidence in terms of consumption and investment. How can China boost the consumers and investors' confidence and unleash the potential of domestic demand? Well, to me, I mean, uh, Chinese domestic consumption is kind of a myth. Uh, many people say, you know, Chinese people don't consume, uh, so we need to raise domestic consumption. But if we look at the data, starting from 2010, China's consumption was increasing by annual rate of 7 to 8%, much higher than GDP growth rate. So that's why between 2010 and the 2019, the share of consumption in GDP uh, was increased by 7 percentage points, right, from 48 to uh, 55 percent. That's remarkable. I mean, during the COVID period of time, yes, uh, the share of consumption dropped. But you look at the last year's data, consumption growth contributed 83 percent of China's total growth. That's uh, the highest in any recorded uh, history. Okay, eighty-three percent. Mm, mm, mm. Right. So to me, don't complain about consumption. Mm. Actually, last year it was uh, export and uh, investment that uh, dragged down China's growth. Particularly export. Export contributed a negative ten percent. Investment only contributed one point six percent to growth. Uh, in a normal year, it should be more than two percent. That actually provides a hint for us to increase domestic demand. That is, probably we should shift the focus from consumption back to investment. Many people don't like investment. You say, oh, we have enough investment, right? Look at the efficiency of investment. But we still have a lot of opportunities of investment. For example, those older neighborhoods, and we should demolish them and build the high-rise buildings. You poor stuff, right? Right, right, right. I mean, I, some historical mm. uh, buildings should be preserved, mm. historical neighborhoods mm. should be preserved. Even in Beijing, we have neighborhoods that were built in the 1970s and 1980s, right? And those are apartments, uh, many of them are actually quite dangerous. Yeah, yeah, in the quality, the design, the philosophy of doing that at that moment was cannot be compared to, to right, now, right? Right, we should just demolish them and build high-rise buildings. And then you go to the countryside, right? There's a, even a larger room uh, for construction. Of course, uh, if uh, you use uh, a common return as a mirror for the efficiency of investment, yes, it's declining. Mm -hmm. But this what I call consumption investment. That is an investment aiming at improving people's welfare. For example, high-speed rail. There's no way for high-speed rail system to make any money right? because uh, the railway corporation has a huge debt. How much? Six trillion. <laughs> That's a lot. There's no way for the company to mm. even pay the interest of this debt. But what kind of welfare mm. does uh, high-speed rail bring to our people? Mm -hmm. Tremendous. Importance for the well-being of people. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we have to change our mindset. Mm -hmm. We should not use uh, a common return to marry everything. In many cases, uh, you have to 
measure the efficiency by welfare, people's welfare. And、uh, also another thing is that the Central Economic Work Conference stressed that balancing development and、uh, security dynamically and benefiting each other. Actually, in the past years, there are some different events that actually make some international investors. Being a little bit more cautious about investing in China,、mm-hmm. maybe not just about their well predictions or expectations about China's growth, but also about the the security policies.、Mm-hmm. And do you think there has been a change of further clarification in central government's perspective on the relationship between development and security when we see this? Sentence expressions in the Central Economic Work Conference, and、mm-hmm. how should people, such as international investors, understand China's view on the relationship between development and security in their decision-making process for investing in China?、Uh, I think the financial sector is a perfect、uh, example because、uh, there was、uh, a, a study a session in. Uh, the Central Party School, yeah, right, on Tuesday, right, beginning on Tuesday, right, 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 right. Prince,、right. he gave an important speech, right, right,、mm-hmm. right.、Mm-hmm. I think that's an important speech, and、uh, we can read、uh, from the, his speech、uh, the intention of the central government、uh, regulating the financial sector. I think the the risk in the financial sector are twofold. Uh, first uh, is、uh, th- this conventional risk. China doesn't want to have a financial crisis, right?、Mm-hmm. So we we have to be careful、mm-hmm. when we run the financial sector. That's also the lesson we have learned from the American experience. Okay.、Mm-hmm. And second, I think more important is、uh, to eradicate the corruption、uh, and the tunneling、mm-hmm. uh, in the financial sector. In many what we what we can call big mice stealing from China through the financial sector, right? They controlled huge financial resources,、uh, so they could、uh, tunneling money out of uh, China, mm-hmm. right? Uh, secretly, huge amount, and uh, uh, corruption in the financial sector、uh, was rampant, right?、Mm-hmm. I think、uh, when President Xi Jinping talked about uh, uh, risk, uh, security in the financial sector, corruption tunneling、uh, were probably two major components in his mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, that reminds me of a recent、uh, documentary series published by the China Media Group, which is called、uh, 持续发力纵深推进 And in the fourth、mm-hmm. episode, there is a special case about、mm-hmm. top. Financial officials. I think he's the former deputy、uh, governor of the China Central Bank,、mm-hmm. and、uh, there are some like quiet corruption, or we call it new type of corruption,、right. which is kind of bad. And、uh, the conference just mentioned on Tuesday emphasized the、mm-hmm. good moral or the behavior of different officials and、right. emphasized the importance of behaving correctly. And、right. also, you mentioned about the risk because、mm. since you brought up this, I was wondering what was your read about the Tuesday's meetings. I think in the meetings, it's emphasized, as you just mentioned, that China's financial sector is different from the Western mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. and I believe the 2008 financial crisis actually gave lots of lessons not、right. only to American. Well,、uh, policymakers, but also to the people in China,、right. and that's why China want to build a robust country with a strong financial sectors. And he、mm-hmm. mentioned about build a strong currency, a, a strong central bank,、uh, mm-hmm. and other things.、Mm-hmm. I was just wondering what was your interpretation of these five big strongs、uh, mm-hmm. emphasized in that Tuesday, in the Tuesday meetings. 
Well, that uh, that's a, definitely the goals uh, mm. uh, for China's uh, financial regulations. Right? Um, as I said, uh, over financialization uh, in the U.S. Uh, has uh, quite a detrimental uh, effects on the American economy. Right, um, so China is determined to avoid that. Right. So you can uh, read uh, from the Tuesday speech that China wants to build a resilient uh, financial sector that serves the real economy. That's the purpose. I mean, financial sector cannot be a self-contained sector that makes money inside itself. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to serve the real economy. That's probably is going to be uh, the trajectory of financial development in China. But of course, uh, there are a lot of details uh, we have to decide. Uh, uh, f- for example, uh, what's the role of the capital market? And when we think about the serving uh, the real economy, and banks are more important right, to provide the working capital. But uh, if you want to do innovation, the capital market is more important because banks are not going to uh, take the risk to finance innovation. Right? The capital market has to take that role. So how to develop a, a sound uh, capital market, provides enough finance and encouragement to, to innovation, but in the meantime, to contain risk right? and also uh, to uh, get rid of uh, uh, rapid corruption. I think that's uh, the new task. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also looking forward to hear more about your thoughts in the future about this conference because it just concluded Tuesday. I think mm. it hasn't concluded. It's going to conclude maybe on Friday. Right. And because uh, you mentioned about the resilience. I think that's a word, that's a buzzword according to my position that, mm. uh, well, the Chinese policymakers want the, not just domestically, but also for overseas uh, China Watch to understand the resilience of China's economy. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the other hand, given the current economic performance and some headwinds impeding its recovery, some China Watchers, overseas China Watchers, argue that the country's growth has reached its peak. And they kind of have a theory of China peak thesis. So what, what are your views on the China peak thesis? Well, I also read uh, some uh, commentaries, uh, articles, uh, like in New York Times. Some of those articles uh, bear, to me, funny uh, titles. Uh, for example, one of them had uh, the title, How Do We Manage China's Decline? Mm-hmm. They use decline, mm-hmm. not even recession, mm-hmm. decline, mm-hmm. which means, oh, China is uh, on the trajectory of the long-term mm-hmm. decline. I was uh, laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's a significant difference, right? It means that the economy is contracting. Yeah, it, uh, you know, many Americans, uh, because of this uh, competition with China, really wants China to decline. Mm-hmm. But they are wrong. They're totally wrong. Chinese economy still has uh, huge potential. Uh, as I said, uh, the potential growth rate is still around 55 uh, why I'm so confident about uh, China's uh, long-term growth? First, China still saves us so much, mm-hmm. 45% of mm-hmm. GDP. Mm-hmm. We can spend those money on investment and also on R&D. So that's why China invests heavily in R&D. Right? That works. And second, China's manufacturing sector is uh, 
30% of world total is actually larger than the sum of the United States, Japan, and Germany. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is a source of competitiveness because that drives down prices and that drives down cost of production. Okay. And in terms of new technology, China is leading on several fronts. Uh, alternative energy, of course, China just dominates. Uh, EVs, uh, China dominates. Sixty uh, percent of EVs are being produced in China. Okay, um, and AI. Many people say, "Oh, AI." When they talk about the AI, they always think about the Chat GPT. But that's only one kind of AI, right? uh, general AI. Um, but you come to China, you go to uh, the grassroots level, you talk with uh, companies, you see they are developing uh, AIs for specific sectors. Some of them are just uh, amazing. So on that front, uh, China actually leads the world. And not to uh, forget about Huawei. Huawei has built uh, uh, cloud computing. So using Huawei's uh, cloud computing infrastructure, Chinese companies uh, can develop AI uh, technologies very easily. You know, when people think about the AI uh, computation, they always think about the Nvidia, uh, their chips, right? Powerful chips. Yeah, they're powerful, but there are substitutions. Okay, why have the substitution? Is a cloud computing. Chinese companies can use Huawei infrastructure to compete with American GPUs. Okay. So that's the current technology. When we look into the future, even on future technology, China doesn't lag behind, like a fusion. Basically, the competition in fusion is just between the United States and China. Quantum computing, and the quantum uh, communication, China leads the world. On almost every front that you can think about, right, uh, China is moving toward the world frontier. So that's why I'm confident about China's future growth. I see. And uh, my last question before we move to the recommendation session is that we know that every year during the two sessions in March, the mm -hmm. government will set a growth rate target for, for that year. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to rely on that because lots of companies are going to make their plans based on that. But mm -hmm. now there are lots of different experts or institutions are giving their predictions or their evaluation about a fair target for the growth rate for GDP for 2024. What was your views mm -hmm. on that? I think the government is going to set uh, around 5% mm -hmm. uh, last, uh, just like last year. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. As I said, uh, China's potential growth rate is 5.5. So uh, set a target of around 5% is uh, still conservative, I have to say. Right? But that also put a floor of uh, growth. Right? So that's uh, my a forecast. Okay, <laughs> we are going to say that. And, and uh, now let's move to the recommendation session. We invest our guests, our podcast show to recommend something to our listeners. It can mm -hmm. be a book, a podcast, or TV mm -hmm. shows, or mm -hmm. even a video game. Do you have anything that to recommend for our listeners today? 
Well, I would uh, like to recommend uh, my own uh, book. Mm -hmm. It's uh, called China and the West, mm -hmm. a, a Pragmatic uh, Confucian's View. Mm -hmm. And so that's uh, a connection of my so-called big picture writings in the last 20 years. And so uh, the book uh, collected my uh, writings uh, for the general public and uh, writings for kind of a more serious readers. Mm -hmm. The, all of them are concerned with China's modernization past mm -hmm. and uh, China's political system, mm -hmm. uh, and also how to revive mm -hmm. Confucianism, mm -hmm. how to modernize a Confucian thought, and how to use a Confucian mm -hmm. uh, tradition mm -hmm. to interpret mm -hmm. the current. Uh, Chinese political system. It sounds to me it's a good combination of Chinese traditional culture with this programmatism in its de uh, right. policy making, right? Right, exactly. Uh, is, is it in, uh, it has an English version? Or? Yeah, it's in English. Oh, okay. it's, it's can people, only, only English. Only in English, right, okay. right, no Chinese. So people can find it on Amazon, maybe? Yeah. Okay, okay. Right. Okay, I'll, I'll put the link into, into, into our show and let okay. the China watchers, if they want to read that, they can get the link and buy that. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thank you very much, Professor Yao. Thank you for coming to our show. It's a fantastic talk today. And I'm looking forward to talk with you about Chinese policy and economic policies in the future. I'm very Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Inside the China Room podcast. For cooperation, investing, or feedback, you can email me directly at jjing.sisu at hotmail.com. Alternatively, please consider leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Substack. If you find our podcast helpful, we would be delighted if you recommend it to others. See you next time and take care.